Welcome back to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the Church are also intense moments of catechesis. And therefore, you have now found Father Sean O'Brien at it again. At it again in the sense of uh, Father Sean's had a hiatus for uh, a little while here. It's been a full summer, uh, been a great summer. I've had enjoyed the presence of seminarian Robert Williams uh, by my side for the last, uh, he was about here about a, a month and a half maybe, and a real joy to have him. And then also, it was kind of a weird deal because he kind of came at one of the, the trickier times of, of this ministry that I've so far had in these two years down here in Poto because we're starting up some youth groups. So, yep, that's what we're doing, a middle school for, excuse me, a youth group for middle schoolers and a youth group for high schoolers. And it's been full. I think I may have alluded to that in a previous episode, but it's been tough to record the episodes, let alone do all these other things. So, but I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped. We got our, our good teams there. We kind of have a core team of volunteers for the high school group, for the middle school group. And then we also have a, a support team who will be a little bit more engaged with not the, the youth group nights, but the, the different extracurriculars. You know, they want to go to a conference. They want to go to a retreat. They want to go to uh, go bowling, you know, whatever it is. Well, that'll be kind of the support group. So that's kind of how we're structuring it. Kind of tricky uh, being a entirely, entirely volunteer-led initiative here. But, um, but uh, I'm supporting them a lot. And we also have a, a family faith coordinator who we hired and who's going to be supporting them a bunch, of, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch as well. But... Just great volunteers. They're so generous, so good. And if you're a volunteer and you're listening, know that I appreciate you. Or if you're not my volunteer, I still appreciate you as well, but there's probably some other people who appreciate you. Uh, keep at it. Your your time, your gift is, is precious. So, so key, so beautiful. So thanks for your generosity and your yes to the Lord. Well, I have... Oh, I should also say I got a big shout-out from the Diocese of Tulsa. They, they sent out a little... Uh, update an email as they do every two weeks. You can sign up for that at the diocese if you want. They kind of give you a little email of all the scoop, and I was one of the scoop. I was one of the little nuggets that they sent out, a little deep dive of Father Sean's sales pitch, and I appreciate that. Uh, I love what I do. I believe in deeper catechesis. I don't believe that learning will save the world, but I believe that uh, lived life will save the world, and I think learning is at, at the service of that. So I think learning has a place in the renewal of our, our Catholic life and our Catholic mind. That's why I begin by saying this is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the Church are also intense moments of catechesis. I and mean, this is how it goes. So um, the more people that listen, the more I feel like I'm accomplishing my mission. Um, so here we are. Here we are. Uh, let's see here. I also want to shout out to to Lynn Glover. Hey, she, she I saw her at a football game down here in Poto coming in, cheering on her son with Bishop Kelly, and she was here. She said she was listening, and she also shouted out to Angela Bailey, who I've given a shout out to her before, but hey, she, she recruited Lynn to listen. <laughs> so, hey, double thumbs up. My dad, I think, he's probably my biggest recruiter, my, my biggest uh, promoter. He, he likes to tell pretty much everyone about it. So it's kind of fun when I go up to St. Benedict's there in Broken Arrow. People are like, oh, yeah, your dad, he's want, he's got us hooked on deep dives with Father Sean. Uh, also, Veronica Oswald came in with the Bishop Kelly squad to cheer on her son when they played Poto. 
and uh, she said she was listening. In fact, she kind of proved her listenership because I asked her what her favorite episode was, and she said it was the most recent. I was like, oh, look at you. You're listening. <laughs> Actively so. Anyways, besides the point here, we're going to move on from the previous series that I did on the simple teachings of the revealed God, and we will now, which I really enjoyed. I, I mentioned that was a kind of a, a renewal of one of my original series, and just updated a bit, updated with better audio, updated with kind of a little bit more, a little better clear teaching. So I really, really appreciate it. I think it's just super good stuff, super good stuff. Just getting a little clarity, also getting a little flavor on some of the history parts and pieces. That's super fun. We're going to be now responding to our time period. Uh, over a year ago now, well over a year ago, the bishops in the United States have put together a three-year plan for a Eucharistic revival being renewed around the Eucharist. The Eucharist being the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the very memorial of his sacrifice for us and our, our access, our primary access to the intimate communion that he desires with us. And this is what we will do. So I'm going to kind of lay out a little bit of the initial theology, and this initial theology will then be kind of like the outline for us moving forward. Um, before we begin with an opening prayer and get into some of the basic, basic teaching, I want to first off answer the question, why the heck is there a Eucharistic revival at the national level? Why is there this national Eucharistic revival? Well, this is what the bishops say. Our world is hurting. We all need healing, yet many of us are separated from the very source of our strength. Jesus Christ invites us to return to the source and summit of our faith in the celebration of the Eucharist. The National Eucharistic Revival is a movement to restore understanding and devotion to the great mystery here in the United States by helping us renew our worship of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. So there's a number of things here to restore our understanding. It's a big piece of it. Restore our devotion. Uh, another word for devotion in this context would be our, our worship, our Sunday Eucharistic worship uh, of our Lord Jesus. Jesus at the center of this, and the most true, real way that he is present to us is in the Eucharist. And if we can think that we can get closer to one another outside of this, we're wrong. <laughs> we're just wrong, you know. Um, also, you know, the bishops had just noted, you know what, why now? Well, there's just been scandal, division, disease, doubt, all this kind of stuff. And in the midst of all this, Jesus is present, and we just got to come to Jesus. This is very much contextualized in our, our own world, in our own national circumstance. So this began back in uh, over a year ago now, June 19th, 2022, the Feast of Corpus Christi. And at that moment, it was focused on the level of the diocese, the level of the diocese, to kind of stir up some thought processes, some planning Get the, get the scheme kind of laid out here, but have some initial prayer and fasting around this as we, we launch into the next stage. That is to say, this current year, the year of parish revival, the parish revival that's happening now. This will go through um, mid-July of 2024. So we still have pretty much a full year to kind of get going. And it's kind of cool because the diocese is sending out some Eucharistic missionaries to the parishes. Uh, hopefully we'll have one here in September, so that'll be kind of fun. Uh, the parishes are doing different things. I know in my parish, I printed out 
uh, well, I haven't yet printed it out. It's printed. It's in the mail, though. I haven't yet seen it. I'm, I'm looking forward to having it in hand. Um, but they're just little guidebooks. It has some basic devotional prayers regarding the Eucharist, how to prepare for Mass, how to do your Thanksgiving after Mass. It's a print of some just classic Eucharistic hymns. You know, some of these classic hymns are so charming and beautiful, and they just get deep within you. And the for whatever reason, you know, in the whatever decades, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, they just didn't include them. Too much theology, I think. But they're so beautiful, so beautiful. So I had to, I had to print those out in there in these as well. Uh, a little guide to exposition and benediction of the Blessed Sacrament for a period of adoration. And let's see here, what else did I have in there? I think that's kind of the bulk of it. I think that's kind of the bulk of it. You know, if you want this for your parish, uh, let me know. I think I can be able to kick these out for five bucks uh, a pop here. So if you want one of these here, let me know, let me know, and I can get that to your parish. That's one of the ways that we're aiming for the parish level of Eucharistic revival. Bring back some of the prayer, some of the songs. Uh, also bring back some of that adoration. I'm super excited. I think in a previous episode I described what we're doing here. We're really focusing on our Wednesday nights. We're going to have English Bible studies, Spanish Bible studies, both of those for adults. Our middle school youth group will be meeting, First Communion, First Reconciliation classes, and and then even our there's a we have a, a Hispanic group of the charismatic renewal going on. All those are going to be going on Wednesday nights. And at the very heart of that, we're going to have four hours of adoration. So as people are coming, as people are leaving, there will be Jesus, and there will be an adore with Jesus at all times. And people are going to be popping in and out uh, with a little visit to our Lord. Super excited about that here. Um, so yeah, praise God. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. So that's the second stage here. The the third is going to be um, it's going to be the national stage. There's going to be this this really cool national Eucharistic pilgrimage that'll be starting up in May. People from all the United States are going to be traveling to let's see where is it? Is it Chicago? I think it is. Uh, yeah. So we're going to be no, it's Indianapolis, Indiana for this National Eucharistic Congress. Uh, July 17th, 21st, book your ticket. It's going to be awesome. Then the final year is the year of going out on mission. Having enkindled a missionary fire in the hearts of the American faithful, the Holy Spirit will send us out on mission to share the gift of our Eucharistic Lord as we enter the Universal Church's Jubilee year in 2025. So that's going to go, how about that, 2025, another Jubilee year. Jubilee years are... Uh, significant years in the life of the church. Uh, they happen traditionally, well, traditionally every 40 years. This goes back to the days of Moses, where everything would be returned as it was. Slaves would be freed, land would be returned to the original owner, etc., etc. Uh, slaves in the sense of probably more like indentured servitude. People would sell themselves into this uh, form of service for a specific set of time in order to pay off debts. Um, so, Jubilee year is kind of like a year of restoration. And beginning at Pentecost of 2025, we've got a year of Jubilee coming up. Think about the coolest Jubilee year coming up, probably 2033. 2,000 years since our Lord has died and rose again. That's going to be so cool. I don't know what that'll look like, but I know it's going to look awesome. I have shared a very long introduction today. I'm already 12 minutes into it. 
And that's okay. This is important stuff. It's important, important stuff. So now let's start with a prayer. I'm going to go through just a brief outline of the theology of the Eucharist, and that will then establish for us um, a, a pattern, a structure on how I will offer this series. Actually, this will actually be a more like a, a series of series. I'm going to explain what that what I mean by that in a moment. Let's begin with a prayer. And I invite you in your heart to invite the Holy Spirit to awaken in you a desire for, for your own personal Eucharistic revival. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we sit here with you, stand here with you, however we find ourselves listening to this podcast, we are with you. We're with each other. It's a bunch of people who listen to this. It shocks me. <laughs> and Lord, but we're here ultimately with you. We stand beside each other as we stand with you. We praise you for the gift of the Eucharist. We might not know all the ins and outs of the theology, but we believe that you are there, and that is your gift of love. Help us to receive that love. Teach us to be loved by you. Teach us to be in awe of your Eucharistic presence. Help us to know you, and in knowing you, to love you, and loving you, to serve you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So, the book of the theology that I want to offer you today is kind of like the question of why. Uh, why in the world? This is kind of how I began this series on the sacraments, if you remember, like, why did Jesus give us these sacraments? You know, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Well, actually, the truth is it does. The truth is Jesus giving all these wonderful gifts in the sacraments, it's highly fitting for us. And some of the reasons why we mentioned uh, that we mentioned were we are physical beings and we need to be loved in a physical way. <laughs> That's kind of the big one, I would say, uh, is talking regarding the sacramental system that Jesus established for his church now regarding the eucharist that is a very still a very fitting thing we need to have nourishment for our souls and all of our support for our body mind and soul actually does come from the body you know you think about what saint paul says faith comes from hearing the ears are needed for that hearing we rely on the physical elements. And if our soul is looking for nourishment, it just makes a ton of sense that Jesus would choose to do something that would nourish us, even at the spiritual level, but he would do that through the body, that he would do that through the body. That's just kind of how he works. Jesus loves to do these great spiritual wonders through bodily, physical concrete material <laughs> ministry. It's, it's cool. It's great. Think of all of his healings. He puts hands on people's. He rubs uh, saliva and dirt in people's eyeballs to restore their healing. This is what he does. He saved us through a physical death on a cross, an actual death. So it just makes sense that he's going to continue to love us through spiritually nourishing us through a bodily gift. And this is what we call the Eucharist. And it was also fitting that he chose bread and wine. Bread is just this classic image and symbol of physical nourishment. Physical nourishment. Oh, I need hungry. Where's my daily bread? Give me that bread. 
Uh, I got to go and work for bring home the bread. Or I guess we say bring home the bacon as well. But anyways, uh, the bread is just the classic symbol of bodily nourishment. I got to feed my body. Man does not live on bread alone, though. And so through that bread transformed into Christ's presence himself, we now are spiritually nourished. The wine that is used also spirit, uh, kind of represents a deeper joy, a, a deeper deeper appreciation, something that we can really cherish, uh, something finer to nourish that part of ourselves that is even higher than our bodily needs. And so it's just no wonder that Jesus chose wine, this kind of universal reality, it's found everywhere, to to transform into his own blood so that it can then inebriate us. It inebriates us um, in a sober way, but in a real way. Um, sober intoxication, we might call it. Very good. So that's a little bit of the fittingness behind it. It just makes sense. Jesus loves us through our bodies. He loved people back then through their bodies. And why would he stop after he rose again to heaven? Jesus loves us through our bodies. And if he wants to nourish us, the primary way that he would do so, he, not to exclude other ways, he certainly does that, but the primary way that he would do it, it just makes sense that it would be done through his body because that's just how Jesus does things. And that's kind of how we need things. We got to have a bodily reality for us to, to receive anything from anyone. So that's kind of part one of the theology. It's fitting. It makes sense. It's not crazy. The, the second part is still addressing the why question. Why would Jesus do all this stuff? It's got a lot of theology in this. And all this theology can be wrapped up and kind of established in the several different answers to this question of why. Why would Jesus give us the Eucharist with all this theology wrapped up around it? Well, think of this. Jesus was going to leave the world. He was going to die and rise again, but he was also going to continue to leave the world in a certain sense, only to be present to the world in a different way. But he was going to be gone in his limited, non-glorified body. That non-glorified body was going to die before it was glorified and ascended into heaven. And so, as people do before they go away, he leaves something. So, I don't know if you've known anyone who has died, who has bestowed upon you an inheritance. Perhaps they were going away on a trip and they sent you a little note of appreciation. Uh, I remember when I was leaving my, my first parish, I was there for three years, I really wanted to give them a gift. I just had it in my heart to do so. And so I, <laughs> for the some of the people I was closer with, you know, maybe the ch church staff or some of the key volunteers, I made a mug. We were in COVID at that time, but I made this mug. as like COVID Survivor 2020. What year was that? I don't know. I get all mixed up here. 2020. Yeah, just 2020. And I printed that out, ordered it, and I gave it away. It's like, hey, this is how you'll remember me. This is not me, but this will represent me. I'm not allowed to stay here, so I can't stay here. But in a certain sense, this will be my present to you, but also my presence to you. When you see this, you're going to think of me, and I'm going to be alive in your heart at that moment. Well, when Jesus went up to heaven, he did the same thing. Before he died, he got his apostles together, and he gave them an inheritance. He gave them 
a little bit of memorabilia, something to hold on to him with. Now, the difference between me leaving a mug and Jesus, the Almighty God, Jesus can give something a lot better than a cup, okay? <laughs> so, And that's what he chose to do. As he was leaving, he chose to leave not something of him, but himself. And so he said, take this, all of you. Take this, take this. This is mine. This is me. I'm going to die here, and I'm shedding my blood for you. Take this. Hold on to this. Do this in memory of me. This is me. I'm not leaving you a memory of me. I'm leaving you myself. Do this in memory of me. It's a technical term. Do this in, uh, the word in Greek is anamnesis, and it means a memory that's so alive that it makes present what it is remembering. This is a gift to you, Jesus was saying. A gift to you so strong of a remembrance that it's actually making present what, what you will be remembering. I'm going to be leaving myself for you. I mean, it just totally, again, makes sense. A lover desires to be with his beloved. Jesus loves us. He's going to find some real way to be with us. To be with us because he loves us. He wants to be with us. So those two images of someone leaving or dying and bestowing a gift upon someone or a letter upon someone, Jesus does that by giving us his presence in the Eucharist. But then also the desire of a spouse to be with the other, to be with the beloved. You know, that's also Jesus there, desiring to be with the church. Now, think about this also. A spouse wants to give of himself, give of herself. This is the nature of spousal love. It's a love that is based on self-gift. I heard this talk from Deacon Frank Keating, and he was saying when he got married, his image, his understanding of the theology of marriage was she will clean my clothes, she will make me dinner, she will blah, 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 <laughs> and I will receive. And, uh, you know, you got to grow out of that. You got to grow out of that. That part of the person has got to die. Marriage is based on self-gift. Without the love of self-gift, there's, there's no marriage. There's no marriage. Uh, that's kind of how it goes. So this is what Jesus is. Not only is he wanting to give himself because that's what a spouse desires to desire to do. He wants to actually give the giving of himself, the act of self-gift. And the greatest act of self-gift that he had was his death, was his death. He gave up his blood for you and for me. And through this blood, which penetrates into our, our deepest parts, it cleanses, it frees us from sin, and it brings us deeper healing because he gave of himself. He took our spot when we were in sin so that we can take his spot in freedom from sin. And he had that divine ability to make that swap. Thanks be to God. And he desired not only to give himself, but he wanted to give us the very act of the greatest love. And so in the Eucharist, yes, we have his presence, which we have already addressed, but we also have in it his sacrifice the very act of his love. The sacrifice of Jesus historically on the cross is made present, is made present at the Eucharist. 
Do this in memory of me. Like I said, this is my blood given up for you. Do this in memory of me. Uh, this memory is is of the giving up of his blood. And it's a memory so profoundly divine and significant that it makes present. It makes present what's going on. And then in this case, what's going on is the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, and the resurrection as well. But specifically, the, the sacrifice of Jesus. Thirdly, again, think of spouses. The, the love of spouse, spouses, it draws them to each other. It's not merely of being present to each other. That's a desire of spouses, as I alluded to. But it's, it's a particular quality of that being together. And this is the intimate union. Uh, I remember one time there's this guy who was talking about his, his dad, and his dad had told him after they had divorced. He said, son, sometimes the most lonely moments in my life have been lying in the same bed with your mom. Like, how stinking sad is that? How stinking sad is that? Spousal love is, is more than just presence. It is presence. You have to be present to each other. It's a big part of that. But it's more. It's, it's about the drawing of the two spouses together in an intimate union. That means you have to be vulnerable. That means you have to let the other in. That means you have to share your thoughts, your emotions, what's going on. And, and that's what Jesus desires for us. He wants to give us his presence. He wants to give us the great act of his self-gift. And he wants to do that in order. This is the ultimate purpose. So that we may have the greatest possible intimate union with him. That we may be lifted up to be one in him. And therefore, some of the saints talk about it as divinization. That we may be so one with him, in him, that we share in his eternal glory. This is what we believe in the resurrection, isn't it? That we will be like him. We know not like how we will be, but we will be like him. We hear in the gospel, or in St. Paul's letters. The intimate union. And just as it is for human spouses that intimacy is both physical and spiritual it's physical and spiritual because this is how human beings live we live physically and spiritually and if spouses are to to live in this intimacy it will need to be physically so and spiritually so both of those are essential for an intimate union uh, that is spousal that is based on marriage and so christ offers to us an intimate union that is both physical and spiritual. That's how it goes. He wants to be united with us physically. And so we receive his very presence upon our tongues. And he dwells with us for the 15 to 20 minutes until the, um, the qualities are dissolved, the, the substance is dissolved. The, not the substance. I'm referring already to a future theological uh, lingo that I need to introduce later on, but the accidents dissolve and the accidents are holding the substance of Jesus Christ there. And so when the, we have the 15 to 20 minutes with him before the Eucharist dissolves away. And that is a key gift. That's why so many people uh, spend time after Mass in, in the church, to be one. Also in the same talk by Deacon Frank Keating, he 
mentioned, you gotta have silence. You know, after the proclamation, after the homily, have some silence. Let people absorb that. But especially after receiving Holy Communion, there must be silence. You know, a marriage bed at some point, it must have silence. And this is the deepest possible union between man and God here and this earth. And it, we must have silence. We must bask in that. We must bask in that intimacy. So, these are the three structural points of my series. I'll do a little mini-series based on each one of these. Um, so, as I go forward, the first topics that I, the first series that I will do is based on the sources of our theology. That's to say the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Church Fathers. These lay down the structure for our understanding of what the Eucharist is. We don't, theology is not a hunting down and creating a theology. Hunting down, excuse me, a theology is based on receiving the truth and being able to put it into words. So we receive the truth based on what has already been laid down as, as gift. The revelation of the Old Testament that prepares for the Eucharist. The revelation of the New Testament that has that is receiving the Eucharist. And then the revelation of the unique gift of the Holy Spirit to the original church fathers. Not necessarily in an inspired way. Um, in like scripture is inspired. But inspired nonetheless in just a different way. And that's what they have received. They're the ones who are the first to interpret and understand and to put words around what they have received. So they're going to be laying down the foundation. So that'll be the first series. The sources of the theological, the theology of the Eucharist. The Bible and the, and the church fathers, the saints. Pretty simple. The second series will be around the presence. You know, one of the big themes on that will be transubstantiation, which it's a big fat word, but it's not a complicated concept. I, I actually look forward to talking about that. The second series that we'll look at is sacrifice. The Eucharist as sacrifice. This has really not been plumbed a whole lot at the popular level in, in the American world. And I think there's a, a lot of room for just diving deep into this. And it's hard to find like a good guide to do it. But I found a good, good, uh, a really good guide uh, in the theologian Lawrence Feingold. He just says like, by the way, this is why there's always been sacrifice. By the way, this is what we mean by sacrifice. By the way, this is what we mean by oblation, blah, 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 sacrifice, expiation, etc., etc. So I'm like, dang, that was super, super helpful. <laughs> so uh, I'm this whole series of series, I'm going to be leaning on Lawrence Feingold's book called The Eucharist, Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion. So that'll be really awesome. I'm really looking forward to that chunk. The third series of this larger series will be on communion, this, this reality, this intimate union that Christ desires for us and gives to us, that gives to us. And then at the end, I might have a few other miscellaneous themes that are maybe around the, the liturgy or something like that. Very good, brothers and sisters. I look back, look forward to getting back into some, some regular rhythm with you all and this will be good. This will be good. I look forward to my parishioners being listening, and I look forward to other people, my friends, family members listening. This is a real gift to me. I'm, I'm honored to do this. So please pray for me. Please pray for my parish, and I shall pray for you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah.